Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Internet, people in your car, people at your desks, people at home. This is the three questions. And uh, I am Andy Richter, and I am talking today with one of the greats. Isn't that what? Isn't that your 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 <laughs> your, your tagline? Yes, yes, it uh, is. Chelsea Peretti, the very very funny, very talented Chelsea Peretti. Um, it's good to see you. Uh, if only virtually. Good to talk to you. You too. You have a virtual uh, palm tree background. Yeah, I was so happy when I figured out about a year into this pandemic how to do these backgrounds. Yeah. It was huge for me. Um, and I like to, when you got up for a second, there are actual palm trees on the wall behind you <laughs> on like wallpaper. So yeah. So it's a whole theme. Kind of. They're actually not a palm tree, but they look similar. I don't want to get into the details, the nitty gritty of my wallpaper, but I'll, right, exactly. Because do you it. don't want the sta- you don't want the stalkers to know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so how are you? Well, you have a you have a small child. I do. I have a three. You're one of those one of those quarantiners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how has that been? It's been a wild ride. Um, I've I've gotten really into saying wild. Lately, <laughs> you know, it's a good, it's a good go to, you know, like it's such a kind of a person who's like, oh, it's so wild how blah, blah, blah. And I'm, yeah, now, yeah. now that's me. A lot of stuff has right. changed, you know, I like amazing too. Oh my God. That's amazing. No, it's a bowl of soup. Yeah. It's that's amazing. a, that's a very Hollywood one. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, having a three-year-old in a pandemic is, I mean, truthfully, it's been a heartbreaking. I know that we're lucky and he's lucky, but it's just been really hard to tell him he can't do anything that he loves to do. I mean, he before this, he would go to the playground and the zoo and art class and music class. And we were trying to train him for this decathlon, this, this toddler decathlon. <laughs> Four mile swim. <laughs> then uh. art, then you have to paint something. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so it's just been hard. It, like when he's like, can, um, oh, I have an idea. And I'm always like, please don't tell me what it is. And it's like, we could go to the car museum. And I'm like, just turn my back and start weeping silently. And then I smile brightly through the tears. And I'm like, you know what else we could do? Keep hanging out in the backyard. We could braid some grass. <laughs> well, you could convince him that like the Ralph's parking lot is another car museum. Yeah, that's a, like, actually brilliant. It. I should have yeah. done that. <laughs> look at this one. It's dirty. Right. Uh, <laughs> Man, I forgot how dumb kids are. I could have done that. Oh, 
They really are. No, I, I mean, because um, I, I know people who basically that when this started had tiny babies. And yeah. I think that in some ways those kids are better off because, you know, they don't know any better. I guess um, so. But, you know, it's like everyone's doing this kind of comparing of kids' ages and how it does for them. And it would, it would I think, be a little bit easier maybe if they're a baby. They can't ask heartbreaking questions at the very least. But I mean, even when I, when my kid was little, we went to little classes or he would go with me to go get coffee and we'd sit outside. And I don't know. There's just like, I don't think it's easy for anyone. That's my point. And um, even though um, I should just shut up because I know that we're, we're lucky. No, we're lucky. you shouldn't shut up because, A, this is a podcast and that would that would That would grind things to a halt. It really would. I mean, <laughs> I can keep an audience for about, you know, two hours, but that's not long <laughs> enough. This is a four-hour podcast, by the way. Oh, my um, God. So you're in the Pete Holmes school of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to Aukerman University um, <laughs> to learn my podcasting. Um, well, you were once a baby. Uh, you were a child once. Yeah. Um, and before we get into your childhood. I always like to, you know, like I know from being a parent, there are so many things when I became a parent that I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. My parents should have done a little better in that way. Or <laughs> or like, oh, now I understand. Like, are there are there a lot of those for you? Yeah. I'm like, wait, I shouldn't have been just biding my time when my dad slept till noon. <laughs> Like there, <laughs> is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> you mean waiting for him to get up? Yeah, 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 yeah. On his weekends that he had custody, um, and just really hungry all morning, and then he's like, <laughs> wakes up at noon, and he's like, donuts, and I'm like, you're the best. Uh, it all kind of clicked into place. Now I'm like, I can't imagine just sleeping till noon with my kid in the house. Yeah, yeah. But what a dream. He really had something right. <laughs> well, you can get a, you get away with that when your kids like cuz like my daughter's 15, my son's 20. Yeah. And my daughter's powers of sleeping are just uh, oh like yeah. heroic. Yeah. Just heroic. When I was that age, I dragged I had a single mattress and I had my mom had a big old house and I dragged this mattress into the closet and I slept in there because it was pitch black and then I could just really just sleep like a complete animal. I I did that too. There's something about burrowing when yeah. you're a kid that's just so, feels so safe, you know? Yeah. And I liked that when my arms went to the sides of the bed, it was walls. Cause there's like, <laughs> and then, you know, there's nothing creepy that's going to get you. Right, right. Exactly. There's nothing under the bed cause there's no bed. Yeah. It's on the floor. Um, you're from Oakland, correct? I am from, uh, yeah, I'm from Oakland. I'm from the Bay area. Yeah. And um, your folks, your, your, I, I wasn't aware your folks were divorced. Oh, I mean, yeah. Did they divorced early? Yes, they did. I was one year old, one years oh, wow. old. And, um, and then my dad was out of there. Yeah. It's also interesting to think about when you have a kid, like how young I was. Was he young? I, you know, I never, I never really know my parents' ages, which people get really like sort of offended by. They're like, how old is your mom? I'm like, I don't really know. Yeah. You know, if you know the neighborhood, like, is she in her seventies? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, you don't really know until they die and you cut them open and count the rings. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm waiting to that. You see, that's mm-hmm. what I was waiting to do. <laughs> I can't know until I do that. The mystery will be revealed. Well, so what was that? I mean, that must have been weird, I guess. I don't know. Or is it one of those things, like I said before, like you don't know any different having split parents? Yeah, you don't. You don't really know any different. And it's weird because um, then when you, if you get married, you're kind of flying blind, especially yeah. blind, because you have no real, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't know what parents act like when they're together. Yeah. So, so it's, um, it's interesting, but yeah, I think that my grandparents, my dad's parents were super tight knit and then all their kids like were divorced. And then now I feel like my generation is tight knit again. Are you the youngest? I am. And of three? Just two. Right? Oh, just two. Yeah. And, um, and your brother, your brother's, your brother's a big deal too. What the fuck is going on over there? I don't know. You know, I honestly, I think it's kind of like my mom was like a school teacher and a teetotaler. And my dad was like a big drinker who let us watch TV all the time. And like, I feel like somehow like having to kind of chameleon between households and, and being in one household where you weren't allowed to watch TV and one household where you're just binging TV for an entire weekend it made us like inside and outside of pop culture and kind of prone to commentary. I see. Yeah. Like you have a outsider's perspective of something that you actually are educated about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't know, but also, I don't know. I think my parents are kind of tough love and kind of like critical. So I think that makes you strive to, constantly you're constantly disappointed with what you've done and want to do something better yeah are they judgmental about everything both of them (sighs) (laughs) i mean yes they're also you know they're also encouraging and and loving yeah yeah no i mean because my whole family is like and this isn't to say that they're not loving people or caring people but it's a whole fucking crowd of critics you know and i mean not just you know works of art like that fucking asshole over there kind of stuff. Right. But and, you know. and that probably is what makes you funny, right? Like I I sometimes It's part of it, yeah. I wish I was less critical and less judgmental. Um but then I fear that if I let go of that too much I won't be funny. So it's a dangerous game. Yeah, I, although I'm like it is it is a dangerous game because it's like you know, like doing other things, like doing another podcast that, you know, was suggested to me. And I thought it'd be funny to find a partner, like somebody that, I, you know, that I bounced off well and just complain about things, like just a complaints thing, which isn't like a fantastically original idea or anything. But it's just I thought, yeah, that could be funny because I can be a pr- I'm, like I can, I can be a pretty good bitch about stuff. Mm-hmm. But not like a rant. You're saying it's like a soft rant, like you're just yeah. more whining. Like, here's, yeah, did you see that commercial that, uh, you know, and then you talk about the commercial, yeah. just that kind of thing. I mean, basically, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an improvised stand-up routine, basically. It's, you know, it's critiquing. <laughs> I like that you, know. you, you see stand-up as complaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on. It's, it's certainly not, it's certainly not 
Have you guys noticed how great airplanes are? You know, my mother-in-law is a loving, caring woman. You know, that would be a that's a great character, stand-up character, <laughs> <laughs> the appreciative comedian. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I just can't do wrong when it comes to my wife. <laughs> She's so appreciative and grateful. She loves everything I do. She tells me she loves me every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but then again, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that just because of the energy of just living in that energy of, you know. Yeah, I know. Complaining, I, I, complaining, complaining. I have that too. Like sometimes I'll think of an idea for a project and it's too dark. And I'm like, wait, I don't want to will that darkness into my life. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just a dance for me. It's a fine line and a dance. Cause I actually go to therapy. I try to have like a healthy life, but then I feel like comedy is, I, I try to have that be a place of catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's good. And it's also too, it's, you know, eh, the world's a bit fucked up. You know, Maybe you should just do a complaining segment on this podcast. On this podcast, all right. <laughs> what's I'll, been I'll what's what's it. been annoying you lately? Oh God! Don't, um, <laughs> Why am I putting uh, you in the hot seat on your I own? Know, I know. <laughs> Honestly, I this is not the because I mean, there's stuff going on. <laughs> there's stuff going on that's like um, more than annoying me. Yeah. But it's, you know, like family stuff. You're, you're full I, of rage and it's about people you can't talk about. <laughs> it's more full of worry mm. about people mm. I can't talk about. Oh. So that, you know, I, like sorry. when you say that, like the first thing, the first like three things that pop into my head, I'm like, nope, nope, yeah. nope. Bummer, bummer, bummer. I know. No, I no, think no. that's what happens when you get like older and wiser, because I feel like in my 20s, I would have said all three of those things. Yes. You know? And yes. then, like, I get in big fights with people in my life and stuff like that. I also, uh, when pot, like, especially with podcasts, when they first started, people start first started doing them, and I was on them. I thought no one's ever going to hear this, and now right. everyone fucking hears everything. I know, so. and like magazines take quotes from podcasts and put them. I mean, it's just like it's a content generator that's a free mm-hmm. for all. So, yeah, you got to be I I, like I actually consulted with my publicist before this and we created talking points and I'm sticking to them. (laughs) You should have let me know. I would have been helpful if I had them, too. I'm kidding. Do you have a publicist? No, she's on hiatus. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, that's the thing. That's another thing people don't realize is publicists. Man, that's a lot of Ooh, money. That's a lot of moolah. That's a lot of moolah. Every month to, to just have people go, you know, I got you three columns in Premier Magazine. And then the thing that like, kills me is like on top of the monthly fee, there's like, okay, and then also for printing costs, it's 50 more dollars. I'm like, can you just make it <laughs> inclusive of that? I don't want to think about that. Um, can, then, you go, can you go paperless? Yeah, I'm like, you really spent $50 printing stuff for me? <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I've been lucky. I haven't had to have a publicist in years just because I've been part of the Conan organization. And yeah. also, I've just, I've settled into being sort of a moderate failure. That's cool. Um, That's cool. Yeah. yeah. If you got it. You got it. You know, if you got it. If you're wearing an itchy sweater, my idea is get used to it. Don't Ugh, take it off. Hate yeah. an itchy sweater. Hate an itchy oh, sweater. It's the worst. It's the worst. Um, but I'm extremely ambitious. But wait, oh, are so you? no, I no, not really. I'm yeah, yeah. I'm conflicted on every level. 
Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, now, when did you start uh, as a kid? I mean, were you, were you a funny kid in school? Um, I ask that a lot. Yeah, I feel like I was weird. I was called weird, which is now to this day a word I really despise. Um, until junior high, in which point my survival instincts kicked in and I had to become extremely funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, weird is funny to often say. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap. The weird frequently. was a training camp for the funny that was later to emerge. <laughs> what did what what did weird mean? Like me and my friend were kind of like dorks and we would like we I found this this play we had written called Gertrude's Revenge and it and the subtitle was All Popular Kids Beware. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what I was up to. It's like, couldn't be more of a textbook fucking dork. And, um, <laughs> and you know, I don't know. There was a really pretty hot girl there, and her mom was heavily involved in the PTA. And I always came to school, and, like, she was, like, my friend. Then she wasn't speaking to me, and no one else was speaking to me. Like, elementary school was horrible for me and, like, yeah. kind of emo and painful. And then junior high, I don't know, it just kicked in. I was I was under constant attack. The junior high school that I went to, everyone was always – like just I mean first of all people were hilarious and they were always attacking each other so you had to be ready because you were always vulnerable and I can still look in that yearbook and be like this is what this person was made fun of for this is what that person I could look oh, at wow. every picture and be like it, it it comes back clear as day it's like a a trauma memory but but then on the other hand that's when I became like crazy and funny and yeah now, that, that is interesting because, like, you, you knew Andy Samberg and Moshe Kosher when you were, like, other comedians. Like, what is it about where you guys grew up yeah. I mean, that makes it so funny? Is it is it like a super liberal area? Is it, it is, you know, yeah. Berkeley, yeah. Bay Area. Um, I think that Moshe actually went to the school I was just talking about. He was, uh, I think he was, like, a year younger than me or two. And so he was, like, really tiny at the time and always had red cheeks. That's all I really remember. <laughs> and he was always wearing a starter jacket, as as were most of the kids at that time. And um, and Nike Cortez and whatnot. But um, 
And then Andy went to Berkeley High. Well, I, I knew Andy from elementary school. And he mm-hmm. was in that that time where I was considered weird and I had a crush on him and um, he didn't really care. And that was that was Andy. But then he went. To, was he at least kind about it? I don't even really remember. I mean, I just remember a lot of like. That means no. No, I mean, he wasn't mean. I, I don't remember Fucking him being dick. mean. Yeah. Fuck Andy. Fuck you, Samberg. <laughs> oh, high and mighty. <laughs> Fucking prick. Um, no, I, I think it was, you know, when you're that age, your crush is so completely in isolation. It's like you're living in an entire world about yourself. Yeah. You know, I just remember it was like calling his house and I feel like hanging up and just thinking he was cute. And on, and what also too is weird is like the seemingly arbitrariness of it. Like why this person, why am like. You know, like you have a detector in your brain and they have a chip in theirs and it's like, I'm obsessed with you. Yeah, it's especially weird with like little kids, you know, like when you get like, I have some younger kids in my family and they're starting to be in the age of crushes and you're like, it's so weird. Who are they going to like and why? Like, it feels weird that kids have crushes, you know, young people. Yeah. I was just thinking the other day uh, when my daughter was, I think she was. It was, you know, maybe middle school, but, uh, my, my son is gay and has been out for a long time. And so she, you know, being gay has been a very, you know, like normal thing in our household. And I was just thinking about, she got in the car after school, my ex-wife was driving and she got in. And the first thing she said is like, well, I guess I'm straight. (laughs) She was disappointed. And there was, yeah, she was disappointed and then would not explain like, why, what are you talking about? (laughs) Never mind. Just trust me, I'm straight. Oh my! So is it like she liked someone and he didn't like her back, or like she tried to to make out with a girl? Still to this day, don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I can't wait. Heard some, heard some indigo girls. Yeah, I felt nothing. Felt nothing. Yeah. Um, That's so funny. (laughs) I I honestly don't know, but uh, but yeah, it is. It is weird. I mean, well, and also too, like having kids that go through those ages and stuff, you just realize like, Oh my God, you're just like a cloud. Like you're not even like a set thing. You're just like a cloud of hormones and emotions and feelings and a bombardment of information. Yeah. And, you know, I always think that cause it's like, you know, you ask tiny kids what they want to be when they grow up. It's like, yeah, cool. You'll be a vet. I'm sure, you know? Right, and then right. like, even when someone's in college, it's totally unclear, like what they're actually going to be, you know, like, or, Oh, I know. Yeah. Or what they're going to look like till they've gone through puberty. You don't even know what a kid's really going to look like. Like no. there's a lot of reveals. That's what keeps yes. it exciting. Yes. And also different parts grow at different rates. You know, like, that's especially what he said. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, like kids, like just like get giant ears all of a sudden yeah. and then their skull catches up to the yeah. ears, you know? Yeah. My, I think probably seventh grade was the ugliest I've ever been in my life. I was just like kneecaps and nose <laughs> 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 and I had braces and a perm and I straightened my bangs mm. with a curling iron and curled them under. It mm. was just a mess, a mess. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was like, that's the cool part about being like super ugly when you were like in your teens and puberty is that no matter what, you have nowhere to go, but a better look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did, 
were you were you interested in performing? Like, were you in plays and things? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I did theater and stuff since I was really little. I started doing classes at the American Conservatory Theater, their young conservatory in San Francisco. So I was like, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, I was really into theater. And I did um, like their main stage in, in uh, ACT in San Francisco. I did two productions there and missed a bunch of school. That's why I think nice. I don't know anything about um, states and geography and things like that. And um, so was that in your head? Like, you know, speaking of like asking a little kid what they want to do, was that kind of in your mind? Well, what's funny is someone just found in my family something I had written like about how I wanted to be. I think I posted it to Instagram. I have to find it. But it was like about how I wanted to be rich and famous for acting or something. And I was like, well... Two out of three. <laughs> but no, I mean, it was kind of cool to see like a dream that I had for so long, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I found uh, years later, I found, you know, like one of those baby books that you're supposed to update, you know, yeah. like first, yeah. second, Yeah, and third. you do the first couple months and then you never touch it again. Well, my, my family, I think my mom did, or my grandma did like the first two or three years. And then there was like a four year gap. <laughs> and then I found it and started filling it in myself. Oh my God. It's so sad. And there was a, there was a definite, there was a point where I, like when I was five, I said, I want to be a fireman. Well, wait, how many then, years commitment was this book? It's like up through 15. It, it was like, yeah, like exactly. Yeah. That's no, too it much. Was like some, it was like, you know, like something you buy at like a Hallmark store. Yeah. You know? But still, I mean, it should end at a year. Like it's it's wild that it would go anywhere. I mean, that's a huge undertaking for any parent. Yeah, I know. But it's also, you know, there were things. It's like 48. Andy just tried <laughs> a matcha latte. <laughs> 32. First gray hair. At 40, doctors were right. He needs reading glasses. And it's like who, and also it's like who will eventually read this? This is a lot of details. Yeah. It's, it's well, my, bio, your my biographer, biographer, of course. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I remember, like, at five, I think I said fireman for some reason, which I feel like I, I, I probably didn't really. I just was like, I felt like I got to put something. Yeah. There. But then, like at six or seven, I actually I, I, well, I went from actor to then the next year comedian. Like I'd obviously nice. learned the word comedian. So, yeah, there again, it was kind of the same thing. Of, I so feel that's like, oh, that's you know. when you first became aware of how hot actors are. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. And I knew I could yeah. never hold it up. I was like actor, and then I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was like, Comedian. I'm going to have this toddler body the rest of my life. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm a comedian. People are going to laugh at this. Um, when I take my clothes off, it's a different thing. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I I do feel like, yeah, it's, it is kind of neat that you knew this thing. It is. Yeah, I always think that that's like – one of the biggest gifts I've ever, you know, I have in my life is a clarity of what I'm passionate about and what mm-hmm. what drives me. Because when people don't have that, I literally have no idea what to tell them. Like if someone's like, yeah. I don't really know what I want to do and da, 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 it's just so hard for me to I just feel so thankful that I have a passion that drives my life because yeah. I can't imagine what life would be without that, you know? Yeah, it's it's akin to a religion, you know, and what what I feel like some people get from religion. 
Are you somebody that just creates without like trying? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like when, and I don't mean without trying, but like, like you don't have to push yourself. Well, for example, when, when you say that, I'm thinking about like, I know there's comedians who I remember Mike Birbiglia, like there was a big thing about him in New York because he rented an office space and he, yeah. he went to his office space to work on comedy. Like, absolutely. Would I do that? Never. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I think of jokes in the shower. I think of jokes conversationally. And I knew a lot of comedians that would sit down to write jokes. Like if I did that, it just never generated something worth repeating on stage. I see. So, yes, I I do think it's work, but it's just like a different process. And the hardest part is when you're on the stage. That's like the uh, for me, that's when when you put in the work, the the writing part. I like it to be fun. Yeah, I don't I'm not like trying to torture myself in some sadomasochistic way by sitting at my my computer writing jokes for three hours. Yeah. Yeah. Do you leave uh, do you leave like a, when you're on stage, like is there a certain percentage of what you're doing left to just kind of we'll see what happens when I get up there or are you are you pretty planned out? Well, that's what I'm happiest on stage is when I feel comfortable enough to play around. And I do, whoever told me to record my sets, that was the biggest help to me. Um, Because I also have so much anxiety and self-doubt that like, I mean, I will watch whoever's on stage before me and be like, oh, this is what people want. I don't have that. I don't do that. I'm going to bomb. And so listening to my sets before going on stage helped me remember I know how to do stand-up, but also it... it <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh, I know how to do this, yeah. But it also helped me write jokes because I could think of tags and, and stuff when I'm listening to it later that I might not have in the moment. Now, as you're, as you're uh, growing up and as you're going into high school and stuff, you know, um, I think generally speaking, little girls aren't really socialized to be funny and to be the one that gets attention and to be the one that like cuts up in class. And did you have to push up against that as you were as you were growing? I mean, I still do. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's gotten a lot better for like the younger generation. But I remember making short. I was in a group called Variety Shack and we used to make comedy short films. And I remember a comedy gatekeeper in New York going, why do you guys make these? And it was like, what? 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 And they meant because you were women? literally just didn't occur to her that this would be a professional pursuit. Wow. It it was just so, it was a different time. I mean, I think people are getting raked over the coals for saying things like that now, but Mm -hmm. a a lot has changed. And um, I remember being at a holiday party of a prominent gatekeeper at the time and realizing that all the really funny women I was talking to in a circle, um, none of them were invited directly. We were all plus ones. And just little moments like this where you go, Jesus, like this, this is, and this is why it's annoying to me when, especially in my day, a lot of guys were like, oh, it's easier for women. Everyone puts you on shows. And it's like, anyway, whatever. I don't need to get into this all the time, but yeah, yeah. but, um, but yeah, like, so when I talk to little kids and I see a boy, I'm like, you are gorgeous. I, you are absolutely gorgeous. I love your build. And then when I'm talking to <laughs> a girl, I'm like, you're so funny. <laughs> What a brain on you. Yeah. I mean, it is funny when you see stuff like that. I was like, you are smart and you're strong and you're funny to girls. 
<laughs> and then to guys, you're like, I don't take you seriously. You. <laughs> you're too good looking. Yeah. I get lost in your eyes and I can't think. <laughs> Six-year-old. Yeah, just try to fuck up their heads. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely do think that um, I internalized a lot of that. And I, I the older and I get, the more I'm like, women are so funny. Like, I just went on a tear of watching all these British female-led comedies Game Face, um, I forget the name. I hate something. I hate Lizzie, Katie, something. Anyway, I just started watching them. And I'm like, these are so funny. They're hitting me so much harder than the stuff that guys are leading in right now, comedies. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, people say representation matters. And it's like, oh, catchphrase. It kind of you tune it out. But it's like it really does matter. It matters to see things that you think about reflected and um, not just as a constant sidebar in someone else's world, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I've, and this isn't like, oh, I'm such a fucking ally or anything. Cause I'm not really, uh, <laughs> I, I, in public, I really say and do the right thing, but behind the scenes, you I am trying fucking to despise undermine these sluts. Ugh, <laughs> um, no, I, uh, but like I was raised by women in many ways, like I, I just noticed at a certain point in my life, like when I'd go to parties and there would be kind of, you know, especially parties like in Chicago, there were, there was very much could be like gender clustering yeah. in the parties. Chicago's and of I, course oh, known for that. Absolutely. <laughs> because it's, you know, well, because it's cold and you have to wear so much clothes, you can't be sure. Yeah. So you need them to sort of, you know, like you need to know. You who's who, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we look the same when we're when we're in all that fleece. Yeah. But I always I like talking to the women. They just are talking, you know, like men are like, oh, what about the big game? And I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the big game. And, you know, look at the rack on her. It's like, okay, yeah, sure, that's great. But why are we, you know Listen, we all love titties. Why why yeah, why are we talking about it? It yeah. doesn't doesn't warrant a lot of conversation. And I think it's a it's a trap. Yeah, it's a, I mean, the whole notion of like, I mean, this is so, I'm being so like, whatever. But the whole notion of like these, ex, this extreme gender binary, it like cheats everybody. Yes. Of, of being a whole person. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the notion that you can't like, you know, gender roles. I, that was another thing. I didn't grow up with them. Like my mom was like, you want, you want that, those pants fixed. You better learn how to sew, you know? So like, <laughs> I know how to sew. Oh, I'm envious. And, and I know how to cook and, you know, and. Um, but I, in comedy, especially uh, because there weren't like, I mean, there were female comics, but not to the level that there is now. And there wasn't, and there's certainly, you know, the, like the, when you think back to like the years of like, I, I look back when I was a kid and like, but like Elaine Boozler and Paula Poundstone. And then I kind of feel like the reason that I like women comics or, and then I, you know, especially when so many started coming around is because it was just not men. Like that was one of the big things. It's like, aren't you like bro comedy is just the most tired fucking shit that I just, I just can't even, you know, and from years of sitting on a Conan show and like if somebody comes out and it's just like, oh, this again. Yeah. Women are crazy. <laughs> right. You know, and it's it's it seems like there's just always going to be 
a major audience for that. It just feels like it's just feels like it's never going to go away. But, um, you know, I always, always think about would men be as passionate about stand up if every night, you know, when they're like, you got to do three sets a night and any audience should love you and blah, blah. It's like, would they have that same energy if the lineups were 20 women and one guy? Would they have that same energy? Because it's such a different proving ground if you're following yeah. 10 guys who say women are annoying and then you come on stage like, hey, so <laughs> I'm the devil of which they speak. <laughs> it's, like, like it's like it's a whole nother, guys. whole nother level of winning over the audience. You have to win over all the disinformation. They've just been fucking jammed down their throat. Yeah, yeah. And I also think, too, like that – not only, well, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but, you know, I think also, too, comedy audiences expect women to just kind of outman the man. Like, it, you know, like that they just like you got to kind of work within the same milieu and the same sort of topics. You know, you can maybe, uh, you know, sort of play with it a little or undercut it a little. But like I, I always feel the pressure on and that's maybe not so much anymore, but certainly Oh, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Like, it just seemed like if there was a, a, a woman stand up, like she could do better if she was filthy. Mm, you yeah. Know what I mean? No, I mean, I certainly did that much more when I was starting out. And then I hit a point where I made a conscientious effort to be vulnerable and to be silly. And those were two of my goals because I, even with a lot of the male comics that I knew really personally, they would be vulnerable and silly and they would be so much funnier when I was talking to them. And then they'd get on stage. All right, guys. It's like, you know, and, and what drives that is fear. It's a fear of bombing. It's a fear of not being in control of the audience. And, you know, I had that when I started and I increasingly don't like my earlier material because of that. It's like, I was surrounded by a bunch of dudes that were like, nothing's offensive and you should be, you know, like, you know, it, it was just like, kind of like this very like agro boot camp, And, um, yeah. and specifically as it keeps coming out that more and more of these men are like predators and like mm-hmm. genuinely like, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is who was giving me advice for <laughs> the start of my career. You yeah. know, probably not the person I want to, follow in their footsteps. Yeah. When did you start to think like, okay, stand up, that's what I want to do? Well, right out of college, basically, I I was temping and I was I had my little headshots and I wanted to be an actor and I was temping and I met a temp who was a stand. Are you up in Bay Area? No, you- New York, New York. I went oh, to okay. school in New York. And um and I met yeah, a temp who was like, I do stand up. You should do an open mic. And so there the Parkside Lounge had an open mic that I went to do. Um, host. What year is this approximately? 2000. Okay. I think. And, um, hosted by Joey Gay and I'm blanking on the other guy's name. And, um, I like wrote my little terrible jokes on a little piece of wrapping paper and did a set. And it was, I, I know like I found that paper later and it was like crop dusting joke. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it was just so bad. And, um, but, but what I was drawn to about it compared to acting was obviously that you can have your own thoughts in there and you can write your own material. And I never really felt, I mean, I was shocked to wind up on a sitcom because I really never felt that 
someone like me would be on a sitcom or that anyone would write anything for me. I always kind of felt my best shot is writing my own material. Yeah. So, so that's what drew me to stand up. What were you uh, just thinking of being an actress before that? Were you just like, I'm, I'm in New York to get on plays and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I did theater. I did improv and I thought I, I just would go straight to being an actor. Um, but I hated auditioning and, um, and most of the material is, you know, not that good. Yeah. Did you like the, the atmosphere of, of standup clubs? I mean, did that, did you feel comfortable there? Uh, that's such a tricky question because I know I, that's, I'm trying to trip you up. Yeah, you get me. Um, hold on. <laughs> I have to call my publicist on hiatus. Um, no, I, um, Wake up. <laughs> hello. She's like in a cryo freezer. Um, <laughs> I, I think that like, yes, I did because there's such a fraternity and, and some of the funniest people in the world you're talking to and hanging out with every night. And it's really fun. Yeah. And I didn't because it's such a fraternity. <laughs> and so right. I felt uncomfortable and people would hit on me or um, the material would be super misogynistic preceding me. And, or, you know, there's a, there was a variety of reasons um, to both love it and hate it. But the the main benefit was just getting to laugh so hard every night and hang out with people that are truly some of the funniest people who are my friends to this day that I used to do yeah. open mics with, you know, and, and it's so fun to like rise up the ranks together and get to work together in a totally new way later. Yeah. What, what kept you going during those early days when you were learning how to do it? <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't drink anymore, but that was the first thing that comes to mind because, you know, you go out and you do your sets and you go have drinks with your friends. I don't know. I mean, I think what was the most fun about the open mic time is that it's not as solitary. You're with your friends all night. You know, you're all you have nothing to do. You have no paid work. So you're all going to the same open mics and hanging out and watching each other's sets and hanging out afterwards. I was I was sort of sad how solitary and lonely stand up became once you become successful. But then you can like mm -hmm. then it's like a revelation to bring someone with you on the road that you like. And, you know, the audiences are there for you. So then that part becomes much more fun. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it just evolves, but, but definitely the, the camaraderie um, running all over New York and doing sets and hanging out at bars afterwards and cracking up. And yeah, that was amazing. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Does getting into that world, like, 
Does it change your dating life? Because like you said, you know, men are hitting on you at, at, at what, well, you know, your peers are hitting on you in a way. Yeah. Um, is that like, does it, did your life change in that regard from pre stand up to during? Um, I don't know. I always had like a weird confidence around dating. I just always felt like whatever, just if you think someone's hot, like try to go for it. What's the worst that yeah. happens? They, they're not interested. Big deal. I always felt that way. So I had always a lot of success with, with hooking up with people. And, um, Man, I wish I'd, I wish I could have read your book when I was like 16. Well, I never got this whole like, oh, what if they say no? Well, then they say no and move on to the next person. Who cares? At least you have your answer. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but, no, but what about it destroying my whole sense of self Yeah, I don't Fuck think it has that. to. Yeah. I forget what your question was. Did it affect... Did it? I mean, was it one thing I liked when I started doing improv is like the the increase in funny women or you know yeah. what I, like you're guaranteed kind of more like it's almost like a cull. A hundred percent. Like no, I yeah. mean that's what I was thinking was like if I hadn't gone into comedy, would I have still wound up with someone super funny? I think so. I mean, I always just yeah. love laughing, and I mean, you know, it's a cliche. Every girl on their dating profile is like, I want a guy that makes me laugh. However, in my case, I'm like, he also will be enjoying laughter on my part. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. like I want someone where we can crack up together watching Love Island. And I got yeah. that. I got that. Yeah. In, in early improv days, there was, <laughs> there were, there were guys that I could see, like they basically, you know, got together and sometimes married like audience members. Right. Like, cause they, that's what they really right. wanted. They wanted like, a built-in audience around the clock. And that was just like, it was like, ugh, skeevy. Is it not absolutely shocking with stand-ups? Like so many male stand-ups, it's like, you could just yeah. tell like they were weird. They were dorks. And now they're so amped to get yeah. this status symbol girlfriend that is not like every comedian's like, oh, fuck, here comes mm -hmm. what's her face. It's like such a dud. We can't joke with her. We can't laugh yeah, at her. Yeah. But yes, yeah, she's very young and very hot. And we and we now she's killing the vibe of our riff yes. session. <laughs> well, and also, too, just like that. The feeling of like, isn't like, don't you put kind of like a value on conversation? I know. No. No. Why would I do that? I don't like hearing any other voices but my own. Right. Oh, all right. Got yeah. It. I want to okay. date a mirror. Yeah. I remember there was a comedian in New York that people said part of his like dating, like one of his moves was to bring someone home to his apartment where his roommate was and could hear this and play his comedy tapes and then fuck them. I mean, I just cannot imagine a fucking dusty comedian bringing out their VHS tape of their set at like the comic strip and thinking that was going to move me to copulate. Uh, I can't. And, and, yeah. And especially like that would involve me have to watch having to watch me. And that does not. Put yeah. Me who would want to do that? Only yeah. a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're learning a lot of psychopaths are drawn to stand up. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I've always, I've always felt, because definitely in my early career, there was a split between stand-ups and improv yeah. in, in Chicago. Yeah. Because there was such a strong improv community. And, it, and you know, an improv didn't exist in a lot of places, really. Yeah. Um, and I, and I really, there, I would go, because I definitely had friends who did both. Yeah. And they, I, there would be parties that would be like more stand-up parties. And there definitely was like a, 
lower kind of energy level because, and it just occurred to me even then, I'm like, oh, they don't really want to play. Like they don't want to play with others, generally speaking, like compared to the improv people. This is people. so fascinating because I come to it from the other side, even though I, I also did improv, but not as seriously as you did. But like, I always feel like improvisers aren't as funny. <laughs> oh, really? So oh, really? Well, That's... like, I feel Fuck like... Fuck you! <laughs> God damn it! No, I feel like improvisers are nicer and they're funny in improv, but when you're in a conversation, like... I mean, this isn't fully entirely true, but like, I do think standups are darker and improvisers are nicer and happier. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of times, like, yeah, like if, but there, there, you remember in New York, there was this show Death by Ruru. It was an improv group that Curtis, I never it, saw it. Was it. Yeah, Curtis Gwynn and like Gamberling. And it was like the one improv show I loved because they were just super dark. And so, I yeah. mean, I think it's also just like, that kismet thing, but like improv's like say yes. And, and, you know, as standups are just like, fuck you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'll say what I want to, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I feel like it's like a different, um, I think that like, it's just funny hearing that from your perspective, you're saying like, they're kind of low, like you mean like kind of low energy. Well, some, I, and, you know, and I mean, I'm sure, of course I'm generalizing yeah. and there are, and I, you know, and like some of the people you know, that I love most in the world do stand up for a living. Yeah. And then there's other ones that I feel like when they, they save it for the stage and when they come off stage, it's like, why would I put this on now? Like there isn't like just the, you know, I, I knew so many standups that where it just didn't feel like there was any joy in just like fucking around. There's a whole phenomenon of standups that all standups will talk about where they aren't funny in person. Like, yeah. like there's a whole genre, sub genre of standups where it's like, how are you not funny conversationally at all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's also a real phenomenon. So maybe, yeah, that's maybe what I'm keying on. Yeah. But then also too, it depends on the group. Cause I went to film school and there was an overlap in Chicago for some years of where I would throw a party and it would be half film school and half improv. Yeah. And like my film school friends with like their black fingernails yeah. would be like, why are they so loud? Yeah. You know, it's just like, and it's like, you know, some guy in a Blackhawks jersey named Jeff bellowing at the top of his right. lungs. And, you know, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, well, I can, I get things from both of yeah. you know, both groups. So, yeah, um, I think it's like, it's just like little clicks and cultures, I guess, you know, yeah, but yeah. yeah. I, and it's also what you respond to and what you come up through. Cause you know, if I'd been in like a super stand up town, I might, might have ended up doing stand up, you know? Yeah. And sometimes to me, the the extreme vulnerability of improv, even though I did it when I was younger, once I started doing stand up, it seemed even more terrifying to me to be so open and so like kind of a hundred percent like going for something, you know, the way that improvers do. Yeah. Um, well, the, the thing that I like about it is that you're not on stage alone. I don't really like being alone on stage. Yeah. It's like, I, I like I like it though. I miss it. It's I I really like I've been writing jokes and I'm like I'm really in the mood to do stand up and it's just so funny cuz I really have been like on a decline with stand up where I'm like I don't feel like dealing with driving to a club. I get dressed and do all this to go be on stage for 15 minutes and then I drive all yeah. the way home and it's like I miss dinner. I'm not there, you know, at bedtime or what. I just like it's such a production for 15 minutes. It's you know and then like 
And then you got that adrenaline too. Right. Then that, you're up all you know, night and your kids up yeah. over early. It's just like it's hard. Yeah. Well, now, do you still like is stand up still your thing? Like, I mean, are you writing a screenplay? Are you? Thinking I did of write pilots? a screenplay. Yeah. I would like to think of a TV show. I wrote a movie right before the pandemic that. I was going to be making and it would have been done by now. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But now the entire world changed. You know, yeah. it's like comedy. So much of it is like, you know, being au courant and being of the moment. And it's like, so I, I have to revisit the script and see what it is now. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I really want to direct um, and star in a movie and yeah, and have it kind of have my... Um, my sensibility and I would like to create a TV show. I feel like at this point, like TV shows and comedy are some of the best comedy you can watch. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the best, well, just some of the best entertainment too. Well, I, I say that meaning like when I was a teenager, big, huge comedy movies were hilarious. You know, yeah. it was like Jim Carrey and, you know, uh, Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura and like, um, well, and all the like stripes and Caddyshack. I mean, those are earlier ones yeah. too. And I don't know if you like those, but you know. yeah, I'll tell you but what though- I like. Okay, Ground- tell me what you Groundhog like. Day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's enough. Yeah, but like, yeah, big, big budget, big comedy with big stars. And now they they do seem like cheap. Yeah, like most comedies seem kind of be done on the cheap, and also kind of like more lower lower common denominator, not like, yes. not like, um, a speci- a big swing and not like someone's taste. I don't know. Um, yeah. but although even on TV, like Barb and star go to Vista del Mar. Yeah. Fucking hilarious, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, but there again, it exists on TV. I don't know how that much. Well, and that, I mean, that Bridesmaids movie was a pretty huge thing. Bridesmaids was, was so awesome. And it's the, it's so great. And Barb and star reminds me of those, those nineties movies in tone. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like a kind of like retro in a way. Yeah. But it what I mean, it's also different though, because you really get in the sense that these are two people that love each other doing whatever the fuck they want, like sort of letting everyone in on their particular sensibility and what right. they like to do to make each other laugh. Right, right, exactly. And there's almost no committee in there. You know, like so many, you know, you look at, you know, like the female Ghostbusters. Like I love everybody that's involved yeah. in that and Paul Feig that directed it. And people were like, eh, it's a little muddy, but it's like, can you imagine how many fucking corporate sponsors there are right. that are in there just, tinkering and fucking around and going, can't they, you know, can't, can't we, you know, can't the car be a, you know, the new Chevy or something, you know, like so many other, yeah. Focuses. Yeah. That have nothing to do with funny or good. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we grew up with like Christopher guest or I grew up with Christopher guest movies and like, um, Parker Posey movies and things like that were like more indie and so funny. Yeah. Well, now, do you think you'll always do stand up or do you think like if you're, you know, you get to direct these movies you star in, you get your big hit show? I don't know. It's hard. It's yeah. a hard muscle to completely let go of because, yeah. you know, stand up is crazy because I always say it's like having like a jealous lover or something. It's like, no, every night 
uh, also weekends and holidays, yeah. you know, like New yeah. Year's, spend New Year's with me. And it's like, geez, Louise, could I have a life? You know, yeah. so that's my gripe with it. But then on the other hand, because you do it so much, it becomes a part of the rhythm of your life. And it, it's mm-hmm. weird to not do it. And also, I'm so used to writing down stand up jokes now if I think of something, you know, so I don't know. I've I've always been so torn about it. And I remember my therapist like decades ago in New York being like, well, why don't you just go all in and see and, the, and then make your decision? And then I just got more successful but I still feel ambivalent about it. So I don't know. I feel like it's just like, it's part of my DNA is just to always feel torn about everything. So time will tell. Yeah. Um, Well, and also too, I think, you know, the cellular structure of any comedy is jokes. So if you want to be making comedy movies or comedy TV shows, it all starts with the joke. Exactly. Like I, I feel like, when I was growing up, the thing I loved was not stand up watching, you know, it was, it was funny movies and funny, funny characters. So that's probably like, I I, I think, I don't know. I think I'll probably do both, but, but yeah, I I love um, watching comedies. All right. All right. Well, that's pretty much it. I just wonder where do I sign? Well, so now going going forward, like you said, you want to direct and stuff. Are there, you know, sort of in a larger sense of your life, what are there, what kind of, what do you see going forward that you really, you, what desires are there going forward? Well, I see a climate apocalypse. Okay. And so <laughs> I don't know what's going to be possible, but I figure at least we got probably five, 10 years left. Um, yeah. Which means, you know, my son might live to be like eight or something. <laughs> <laughs> you are funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I am. Um, I obviously like the stuff I'm talking about is what I would love to do. And, and it takes forever to do all these things. I'd like to do another yeah. stand-up special. I'd like to create a, a, a comedy TV show. That's like maybe eight to 10 episodes. And, uh, and then out, right. Yep. And then like, I like to, do, I love that. Yeah. No one needs to be doing 23 episodes. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. um, I'd like to do funny guest things and other people's stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd like to direct a movie. Those are my dreams. Maybe somewhere along the lines, a book. Uh, I could see myself doing a play at some point. Nice. And that's it. Then I'll die. Okay. That's good. Then I'll be ready for death. (laughs) Just, you know, as my grandmother say, when she, her phrase was always like, before I lay down to rest. Oh, my God. Yeah, she'd say, like, I just hope that before I lay down to rest, you people will stop fighting. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a good one. I'm going to start adding that to rotation. Right, right. Say it to your son a lot. Yeah. I want yeah. him to think about mortality more. Yeah. And your death. Specifically. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah, yeah. here forever. What right, will right. you do? Right. The clock is ticking, kids. So <laughs> yeah. come on. Let's produce. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Well, um, what uh, what's the point of the Chelsea Peretti story? Hmm. I honestly, the truest point is to make people laugh. I I feel like the world is so. I I feel like life is excruciating. 
Yeah. And I feel like anyone who can make me laugh or take my brain out of it um, or help me process a feeling I've been having but haven't been able to say, I mean, this is what I think entertainment is. And it, I think it's um, either distracting people from demons or letting people see they're not alone with their demons. And that's that's the whole point of my story as far as I can figure it out, but also to try to be a good person and, and try to help people as much as I can. Um, yeah. And uh, that's, I, I, that I agree wholeheartedly. It's like kindness. Like I don't expect my, anything out of my kids really other than kindness. Yeah. I mean, we were just you know? talking about this. It's like, you know, with a lot of these different identity things um, that are so prevalent right now, um, I feel like if you teach your kid to be kind and loving and accepting of people wherever they stand, you know, unless they're a fascist, <laughs> yeah. then then um, that's a good starting point outside of all the 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 words and the language and the specifics, just teaching your child that, you know, being loving and being accepting is important watch then i go on stage and just shit on every type of person that exists <laughs> <laughs> fucking ukrainians mommy uh, what was that about oh this Never is mind. this is why i'm in therapy yeah i'm uh I'm <laughs> that was that was called mommy making money yeah. that's what that was <laughs> um yeah no i agree i mean i was to me i'm always especially like in the line of work that we do when I am around people that seem to not really like be concerned with having fun, mm -hmm. like making the day, no matter what you're doing, yeah, like having fun. I'm just like, what are you doing? Right. That's you know? the whole point of this job. I get, yeah. I get so upset when this job feels like an office job. I'm like, I don't yeah. want any way. I don't want any version of taking a job where I'm doing it just for the money, but I hate it because the whole point of my career was that I'm following my passion and getting to do something I love, you know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think that, that, that guides, that guides the choices that I make. And, um, one of the, one of the sitcoms I was on in the writer's room once, uh, <laughs> the guy in charge running the room at the time yeah. actually said the phrase, guys, quit screwing around. We got writing to do Ugh. like, <laughs> Oh, you mean comedy writing? I Quit screwing around. That's what? Like I hate when someone runs a room that way where they don't let you play because these, yes. these tangents can lead to such like useful, amazing comedy. And if you're not allowed to go on the tangents, it's like your whole headspace is in the wrong place. Yeah. You're it's basketball without dribbling. Yeah. It's like just no. Why aren't you making baskets? Right. Well, I gotta get there. Yeah. You know? Let me freaking dribble. <laughs> <laughs> let me dribble. It said on his tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Chelsea, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And Oh, thanks for having me. Hope to see you around campus when all this nonsense ends. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, we will get back at you next week with more Three Questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. 
The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.